We're going to continue on with the series um, we've titled New. Um, if you haven't heard these uh, last several messages by Pastor Jason, uh, jump on the podcast. There's some great stuff there, and uh, you'll be blessed by it, I promise you. He's more preacher, I'm more teacher in style, so this is going to be different today, but you get your preacher back next week, so uh, if this is a struggle for you, just endure for a few minutes, and we will get through this. Um, but it is good. I'm excited about what I have to bring to you today, and uh, we're going to continue on, as I said, with the, th- the series new. Let's go back to the two foundational verses on which this series is built. The first from the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, verse 19. I've switched the New Living Translation this morning. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God is always up to something new. If you haven't noticed all through the scriptures, we're going we're gonna to kind of come back and talk a little bit about the story that's behind that verse. But if you just kind of project backwards in history a bit, part of the national story of Israel was that at one point, in fact, several hundred years prior to uh, Isaiah writing this verse, Israel was captive in Egypt. God brought them out of slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, on dry ground, no less. This amazing miracle, a story that's been told and retold generation after generation. And God is saying, you know, as amazing as that was, I want you to forget it because I'm going to do something new in your day and you're going to see something no generation previously has ever seen. This is fresh. It's for you. I want you to see what I'm doing now. I think God is still up to that. He's a God of new things. Even as as far into the New Testament as the book of Revelation, almost the very end of the Bible, he says, I'm going to make everything new. New heavens, new earth, everything new. He's a God of something new. Let's look at the New Testament counterpart in Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. Also new living. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure. So here it was, they would take animal skins and they would use it to, uh, to house the wine. So you put fresh grape juice in there, it begins to f- ferment, and so it expands and it stretches the wineskin. So once that's been done, if you try to do it again, it's already stretched to its limit, it's become brittle, it's just going to break, and Jesus said it'll spill the wine and ruin the, the skin. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. So the question is this, are you brave enough to trust God to do something new in your life right now? This is Pentecost weekend. Let's just say for a moment that the Holy Spirit is that new wine that God is giving out. In fact, the Bible refers to it in that way. And let's assume, because 1 Corinthians 6 also says this, that we are the containers in which that new wine, the Holy Spirit, uh, resides. So God is putting his spirit in us. And we're going to experience some stretching and some expanding and some discomfort in the process. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit do whatever he sees fit to do in your life, no matter what that means for you? Something new. So this morning, I want to just change direction a little bit and talk about new purpose. God has a new purpose for some of us here today, and we're going to take a look at an incredible verse of Scripture that's going to help us, I hope, to have a deeper understanding of that. So last time I preached, somebody said to me, man, you got a lot of car stories. Want to hear another one? 
Yeah. So um, when I was 16, uh, I, nothing was more important than driving, right? So I, wa- I wanted a car. As it turned out, there was a 1959 Pontiac Catalina of 369 cubic inch engines sitting in the yard of our house. And the reason was there because almost two years earlier, my mom had driven it for the last time as she was coming up the road to our house. This engine just kind of made all, it went crazy. Metal hitting metal. I mean, it sounded really bad. Black smoke pouring out the tailpipe. And uh, so she shut it down quickly and parked it there. And dad got home from work shortly after. And she said, something's wrong with the car. And he, of course, responded with, what did you do to it? (laughs) Natural question. And she defended herself. So he decided to try himself. He went and started it up. And man, he shut it down in about 10 seconds. It was awful. He borrowed a car, went to the car dealership, traded in that car, sight unseen. The dealer gave him 200 bucks for that car. Said he'd send a tow truck to pick it up and drag it back to, uh, uh, drag it back to the, the store. Well, that never happened. A couple years later, the car's still sitting there. And I'm wanting something to drive. So I went to the dealer and said, hey, you never came to get that car. Can I buy it? I had no idea what I was going to do, but he said, well, make me an offer. I said, how about $75? He said, tell you what, you bring me the money, I'll give you the keys. So I had this little weekend job, and I saved up my money. I was able to save $25 a month. It was a big, big deal for me. So every month, I bring him $25 in cash. Here we go. Third month, handed him the last 25. He handed me the keys. I went home, most excited kid in the world, I thought at that time. I had this car. So now what do you do with the thing? So uh, I said to my dad, let's see uh, what's going on. So the, together we went and we, you know, we put some oil in it and a, a fresh battery and cranked it two or three times. And it, it started up. And at first it, it was rattling around a little bit and some puffs of black smoke. And then within just a minute or two, the engine smoothed out and I mean it ran normally and the black smoke was gone it was like wow what what happened so we thought well let's take our chances on this for I want you to know I drove that car for a long time and never did anything to that engine and it worked like a normal engine you ought to try it it works great recommend it I to this day, I have absolutely no idea what that happened. But here's the lesson I want to pull from that today. Sometimes when things look really, really bad, in fact, they are really, really bad, in the end, they work out to not be as bad as you thought it would. Romans eight twenty eight, classic, famous verse from the Bible. I've heard it all my life. But in recent weeks, I've been thinking about it in a whole new way. And it strikes me as being almost at the level of a John 3.16. It's so comprehensive and expansive in its understanding of what life is like for the, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can hang your hat on this and gain an understanding about what everything your life is all about by looking at this verse. So that's, we're going to spend some time here this morning. Romans 8.28 from the New Living Translation. And we know that God causes every to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I'm going to focus on three different phrases within this single verse. We're going to look at some other verses that kind of help illustrate the truths. But the first one is this, live with the end in mind. Based on that part that says God causes everything to work together for the good. 
Sometimes we get through the more challenging times because of our confidence that the end is going to be good. Remember a while back, Jason was saying he and Raina read books together, and uh, I guess she does most of the reading. She picks all the books, and she always picks books that she knows is going to have a happy ending because she likes happy endings. And Jason said, I remember him saying he was okay with that because he read the Bible and had a good ending. Well, nothing could be more true for us. This is like a certainty. This is a promise that no matter what the everything is, and we know it's going to be some mix of good and bad, no matter what that is, God causes all of that to work together in a way that's going to come out for the good for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's really an amazing thing that God is up to. Live with the end in mind. I just want to talk about some of the words here. I mean, you could break this down. Almost every word in there deserves some, uh, some time of just savoring the truth that's there. Even the word and that it starts with helps us to understand that this is flowing from a truth that precedes it. It goes back actually to verse 18, which is the beginning of that section. In verse 18, Paul says something like, you know, these present sufferings that we're going through are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us later. So he's saying, you know, it's bad. It's really bad. There's no denying it. But when we get to what God is working out, it's going to be so immensely great. We will forget what we're experiencing, the pain that we're experiencing right now. And then he goes on to say, because God's given us hope. He's put hope inside of us that this is not the end. This is not the way it's going to resolve. There's a hope for something better. In addition to that hope he's given us, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to pray prayers that we don't know how to pray, even in those times when you don't know what the right words are, you don't even know what you need or you want, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf to God the Father. He knows the heart of God, so he's not going to pray a prayer that's misaligned. He knows our heart and what we're trying somehow to, to put into words. And he takes that, and even sometimes through groanings, with no words at all, he's expressing that to God in a prayer that God delights to answer. And on top of that, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I mean, it's a great, great finale to what Paul is talking about there, an incredible lesson. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So I mentioned the the Old Testament passage in Isaiah. There's a story with that, and I want to look at another snippet of it from Isaiah chapter 48. There's a big, big story in the Old Testament about the restoration of God, of a nation that's gotten itself into a really, really hard place. I mean, initially, yeah, they came out of the, the land of slavery, crossed the, the Red Sea, um, wandered around the wilderness for a long, long time, finally inherited 
what God had promised them, this land flowing with milk and honey, lived there for generations and generations, turned their back on God. They had lessons to learn. Now, when we get here, they've just experienced 70 years, two generations of captivity from the Babylonians, a brutal people. And then God is speaking through this prophet, saying to them, it's about to change. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, and this is a carry-on from the new thing that we read in Isaiah 43. Your Redeemer, the one who restores back, the one who purchases again what's been lost, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Unfortunately, we don't always do that. We're going to back up here, but I want to look at verse 18 and then come back to this in a second. He says, oh, that you had listened to my commands. That word commands just, it just seems to rub us the wrong way. Nobody likes to be commanded to do anything. And when we think about God and his commands, it just, it seems like this heavy handed deity that's just yanking us around for no reason whatsoever, taking all the fun out of life. But look back at verse 17. This is how God defines the intention of his commandments. Teaching you what is good for you and leading you along the paths that you should follow. He wants good in our lives. And unfortunately, God was aware that these people, his chosen people, were unable to live up to even his best intentions for them, that they would end up in captivity. And so he's saying, I had a plan for you. It didn't work out. Let's go back to verse 18. Then you would have had peace, you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves in the sea. It would have been better than it turned out. Verse 19, your descendants would have been like the sands along the seashore, too many to count, rather than being buried in shallow graves by uh, a brutal enemy. There would have been no need for your destruction or cutting off your family name, which happened to many of them. Generations were lost. Yet now, yet even now, and this is where it shifts back. The Redeemer is speaking. Even now, be free from your captivity. In spite of how difficult it's been, leave Babylon and the Babylonians, sing out this message, shout it to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servants, the people of Israel. Let's go back to the point in uh, the, the verse, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know, we know, we know that God causes everything. The root word there for that phrase, we know, comes from the word to see. And the idea, there are many Greek words for, that are translated know in the English language, but this one has more the understanding of perception. And we perceive through observation, we perceive that God causes everything. And that's why I wanted to go back to Isaiah. Because what I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, you know, you look back at all the stories of how God has interacted with people down through time, and you can just see again and again and again how things have been so very bad, and yet God worked everything together and caused it to end up well. And he's going to do it again for this nation. He's got a future. He's got a plan in mind for you, and it will turn out good. This is not like, um, don't worry, be happy, you know, everything's going to be all right, kind of flippant sort of, don't worry about anything. This is God promising with absolute certainty that he's working out a plan, 
And regardless of how bad and painful and difficult it is in this moment, it's going to end well. I don't know um, if you understand what, uh, what we do, pastoral ministry is really all about. Some people might think we just tiptoe through the tulips all day and it's, it's, all, it's all fun. A lot of it is, but I can tell you there's some challenging parts to ministry. And uh, I'll just talk for myself. In my 40 years of doing this, I've been in burnout twice, and both times it, it ended my, my ministry in the church where I was. Slipped into a deep, deep, dark place where I lost focus on who I was and what I was doing, where I was going, and I could not dig my way out. And I can tell you this, if you don't know anything about it, it's not like the flu where you're really sick for three days and then you're fine. It goes, it drags on and on. In fact, had it not been for a few people who believed in me when I no longer believed in myself, I promise you, I would not be standing here today. God used some folks to help restore me back. I thought there was a time when I absolutely believed I would never preach again in my life. And I threw away all my sermon notes and everything because I knew that they were useless. 30 years worth of of sermon preparation pretty much filled up a dumpster, I think. And uh, it was stupid, but that's how messed up my head was. Looking back, I can see now how God was working in all that. Probably don't fully understand that, may not until we're in heaven. But, you know, God is working out a purpose and a plan that we can't always understand, and he will bring good for it. If you're in that spot right now and life looks so bleak, you cannot see the light of day. You cannot see a glimpse of light in the future. I promise you, God has promised you there is a good ending in store. He's going to work it out. He will cause it to work out for good. Let's move on to point number two. Know that you have a calling and a purpose in life. Back to Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. My calling, his purpose intersect right here. It becomes, it defines who I am. A calling and a purpose that God has in mind that I don't determine for myself, but rather I experience as I flow in his love for me. Yeah, week after next, I've got a birthday coming along. And don't cheer. And so I'm past that. Uh, 66 is the number this year for me. And uh, that's old. I mean, I, I can remember when I thought that was really, really old. I don't, I don't feel as old as I thought I would when I got to this age, for this ripe old age. Uh, but I, one thing I'm clear on, and that is the finish line is getting closer than it was. Yeah, you too. All of us. <laughs> We don't know where that finish line is. None of us do, but God does. But I'm thinking more about these kinds of things than I did in previous years. And I know this. I want to stand before the Lord and be able to say that I completed the purpose. I fulfilled the purpose that he created me for. 
There's some great verses in the scripture that I've been looking at. Here's one from John 17. It's in the prayer that Jesus prayed just before his crucifixion. Whole of chapter 17 in John is an amazing prayer. I encourage you, if you haven't read it for a while, go back and reread it. Look at verse 4. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Isn't it awesome to be at a point where you can say, I mean, Paul did too, right? You know, I I press onward, I've completed what you've given me to do. I look forward to the reward that lies ahead. This, and I know maybe you're thinking, well, Jesus was God, right? He can say that. Well, he was fully human and fully God at the same time. And I think this probably expresses more that human side of his, his character. And he's able to say, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Completing that work and understanding of that purpose and the fact that it has been fulfilled in his lifetime. There's another verse in Ephesians 2 that actually has become my theme verse over the last year or two. For we are God's masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. He has, cre- isn't that an amazing statement? It's not me creating something of my, of my life to impress God. He's at work creating a masterpiece for his own glory that I get to participate in. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good thing. This is what amazes me. The good things he planned for us a long, a long ago. I mean, even before I was born, God had in mind good things that I would do in my lifetime that will fulfill a purpose that he alone had in mind? How awesome is that? It really would be nice to do those things sometime before I get to the finish line. You know what I mean? It would be really great. I wish you'd give down the Lord a list to me. Okay, one, number one, I'm good with, I'm good with checklists. You know, just give me a, a to-do list and I, ask Joan. I get one every week. Uh, the honey-do list. In fact, it was cool. I was at the printer a few weeks ago, and they actually had printed out a, a pad, a honeydew list. So I bought one, and I brought it home and gave it to my lovely wife as a gift. And does it work? If God would do that, we'd all be in a better place, right? Just hand me a to-do list and say, do this, this, and this, and then that's the good things I had planned for you long ago. Check, check, check. We're good. Welcome to the blessings of the Lord, good and faithful servant, right? Doesn't seem to happen that way, but I know that there's a deep place in my heart that I want that from my life and for your life to be able to say that we did that. It's just not easy to figure out. So here's another great story. It's in the New Testament. In fact, Romans chapter 9, but it references an Old Testament story. So go on a little bit, uh, bunny trail here with me. There's a great point here. So Romans 9, verse 10, this son was our ancestor Isaac. So what's that mean? Just to back up a tad, he's talking about Abraham and Sarah and their inability to have a child. They're very old, and God sends, a lot of people think, angels in human form. And these men say to them, one year from now, you're going to have a son, a baby boy. And it just blew their minds. So Paul's taking that story, and he's saying, and the son was born as prophesied, and it was Isaac, our ancestor. And when he married Rebecca, she gave birth to twins. Do you remember their names, the twins? Esau and Jacob, right? So we got twin boys here. And uh, 
and, and, she, and so here's verse 11. This is what's really amazing. Before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. And the reason I landed on this verse is because that word purposes is exactly the same as the one in Romans 8.28. God chooses people according to his own purposes. Verse 12 He calls people. You got the calling and you got the purpose, but not according to their good or bad works. This is before they had done anything. They weren't even born, hadn't taken their first breath. She was told, this is Rebecca, mom, your older son will serve your younger son, which was completely countercultural in that day. The older son always prevailed. So you got Esau and you got Jacob, and we know from the stories we read in the Old Testament, these boys were as different as night and day, twins or not. Esau was the, sort of the, the Gaston. You know, he's the outdoorsman. He was the muscular guy. He was a hunter. Uh, he had the smell of the field on him, and he was his father's delight. But then you got Jacob, bright-minded kid, but more of a mama's boy. Loved to hang around uh, the house and the kitchen, uh, more of the refinements of life and that kind of thing. I suspect that if you and I had the two of them stand in front of them and we were said, pick your leader, a lot of us would go with Esau. He's the older son. He has more of the look, you know, and uh, we'd probably go that direction. God's saying, I got a purpose in mind. Has nothing to do with what you have done or what you're going to do, has nothing to do with the good that you've accomplished or the bad that you have done, that that you're guilty of. It's not how bright you are, how strong you are, how you look. None of that. It's my purpose, which sometimes is counterintuitive to what we would expect it to be, but it doesn't matter because it's the purposes of God that are being fulfilled. You get that? I mean, sometimes we just, want, we just want to figure this all out and, uh, and reason it into existence and do what we figure out God wants us to be doing somehow. And he's saying, I think he's saying, hey, that's my prerogative. Sometimes I may reveal that to you ahead of time and sometimes I may not. But I just want you to know one thing. I'm at work regardless. The purposes in the calling of God. I want to go back to Ephesians, but a different verse, chapter 1, verse 11. And the reason why I'm doing this, because I don't want you to think this is just some random, obscure idea that I pulled out of, uh, out of the blue. This, there's, this is thematic. This is something that Paul has obviously given thought to, and he's repeating it again and again. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God for, look at this, he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. There's a plan in place. None of us chose who our parents would be. None of us chose when or where we would be born. None of us chose what we would look like, what strengths and weaknesses would be a part of our genetic makeup. None of us chose any of those things. God 
designed us on purpose for a purpose of his own making, a plan that he's working out. We're not even responsible for the purpose. He's saying, it's my purpose. I'm doing this. The glory goes to him. We're privileged to be partakers in that. Sometimes it takes us through a very difficult path, and we need to understand Keep the end in mind. It's going to work out good. It's the purpose of God. All right, so let's go on to point number three. Time is flying here. The X factor is your love for God. Back to Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I took a look at this in the original language this week, and it's not that I'm that smart with Greek. I just got some good tools. What was striking was the sentence structure, different from what we see in English. In fact, that phrase, for those who love God, is actually the lead thought in this verse. So literally, it, it reads, we know to those who love God... He causes everything to work together for good according to his purpose for them. This is the hinge point in all the things. If there's a condition to the promise that God works out everything, causes it all to work together for good, it has to do with our love for God. When we walk away from that, there's no guarantee. I mean, he's gonna, he, he anticipates what we're going to do, and he's going to try to get us back on, path, on the path as he did with the nation of Israel so that they could become the people through whom he would reveal himself to the nations of the world and took 70 years of captivity to get their attention and to bring them back. And sometimes we wander around a little bit, but God's purposes never change. They never alter. How he works with us, he'll, he'll go with the flow. We mess up, he's going to bring us back on course if he possibly can. Those who love God, the hinge idea in all of this. I don't know if you've struggled with this this whole concept of what is my purpose in life. I can assure you that I have, and maybe I'm just talking to a, a few people this morning. I'm sure that there are others here who, like me, have spent hours and hours and hours struggling with who am I, what am I supposed to do, what is God's purpose for my life? And honestly, sometimes it's so confusing and frustrating, you just want to throw up your hands and give up altogether. And you know, maybe that's the best course. Because it shifts control from me back to where it belongs to God. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with uh, trying to make the most of your life and be the best success that you possibly can. I'm just saying, if there's a single priority for us, it's about loving God. And that's what brings this whole idea together, that when we succeed at that level, if that's the only level we succeed at, loving God, then his purposes can work out as a result of that, and there's an absolute guarantee of a good ending when that happens. I want to I wrap this up with one final passage from Matthew chapter 22, familiar to you as well. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus responded by saying, go figure out what your purpose in life is and fulfill it. Not there, is it? 
And yet, so many of us live as though that is the greatest commandment. Figure out your purpose in life and fulfill it. In fact, I don't find that concept really anywhere in the Bible. What I do see is Jesus saying, you want to know what's most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one's real close to that. Love your neighbors yourself because it flows out of that love for God. What I'm suggesting this morning is the one place I find some peace and sometimes all the fog and confusion of trying to figure out life and where I fit in it is if I devote myself to delighting in God, I can pretty well count on the fact he's going to get me where I need to be. Have I fulfilled God's purpose for my life? Apparently not completely. I'm still here. Uh, How have I done? I honestly don't know. There have been times when I felt like I was on track with what God had called and created me to be and other times when I was a hundred, if not a million miles away from it. But the one thing that matters most, I think, is that relationship. Jason had us looking at Psalm 37 a few weeks ago. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll fulfill the desires of your heart. I know this, when I'm delighting in God, then my heart's desires match up with his heart's desires and then he delights in fulfilling that in my life. That's why I call this new purpose. If there's any single purpose that each and every one of us need to fulfill in our lifetime, it's that relationship with God through Christ Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads with me as we conclude this morning. You may have come here searching for a purpose, new purpose in your life. I just want to tell you, it's already there. God has that. Whether, whether or not he chooses to reveal it to you openly, I assure you, he's working it out. And if you, if you've, this morning you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's really the beginning point of moving into the fulfillment of that purpose, dedicating your life to Christ. He's more interested in your future than he is your past. He does have a purpose for you. It is going to end well. He wants you to surrender your future to him along with your heart. Is there somebody here this morning? I'd love to pray with you as we close this morning. You say, I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll receive his salvation and live in his future for me. Just slip up your hand real quickly. I want to pray with you as we wrap up here this morning. Anyone, anywhere in this place, between you, me, and God, if you just raise your hand quickly, I want to give my life to Christ Jesus this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you're a God of hope. I thank you that you're a God who controls the past and the future. I thank you that there is a plan and a purpose in place that's bigger than any and all of us. And I thank you, Lord, that you've included us in that plan. For those who this morning are walking through some of the darkest moments of their life, I pray that you would strengthen them in the comfort and the peace of the Holy Spirit and the hope that there is in Christ Jesus for a glorious future. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.